I had two jobs in my life that were under three hours in length. Not something I'm particularly proud about. The first was a drive-in restaurant. As a new recruit, they gave me the job of making french fries. Dipping a basket of frozen potatoes into red-hot grease and trying to avoid all the splatter. The shift started out quite manageable. A couple of orders here, a couple of orders there. But 90 minutes in, a local theater down the road emptied and several cars showed up with hungry people. What started as a few baskets became dozens and I was showered in hot grease. I handed my apron to the manager and headed for the door. Second happened at Forest and Stream Club in Dorval, one of these fancy clubs where the wealthy join and, and they sit and have coffee and play bridge. I got a job there one summer helping the gardener. Now why they would hire someone of my physical stature with hands better served for almost anything but a shovel, I have no idea. But the morning I started, the sun was beating. Of course, I didn't have a hat, and the only water was flavored from a garden hose. I lasted the morning, I don't know who was happier. Me for calling it a day or the gardener after seeing the mess I made of his rose garden. Again, I wasn't proud of quitting, but each time I learned from the situation, and each time it led me to pursuing something I was more suited for. That gardener job I abandoned became a commission-only, telephone sales job at a local radio station that I loved and crushed. And from that day on, I never worked for a paycheck. Instantly, I want to be amidst 50,000 people inside an arena. All of these people are hurting, aching, anxious. They get up unhappy, they get up scared. They feel like crying. But as entrepreneurs, they cry because they're scared about their future. And I tell them it's okay to cry. And I tell them everybody cries. And I tell them everybody's anxious. Nobody's hard on the inside. Everybody's soft. And you're supposed to be soft. And that's okay. My guest today has created a career based on circumstances. Some out of his control and some in his control. And each time he's found the opportunity within. He is the poster child for the expression, leaving no stone unturned. Or the other one, making things happen versus watch and wonder what happened. I'm bringing him on Chatter That Matters because I think there's a lot of people out there whose career or even life path needs refining if not changing. His approach and his passion might be the nudge you're looking for. You're listening to the iHeartRadio Canada Talk Network and this is Chatter That Matters with Tony Chapman presented by RBC. My guest today is Avi Arya. There's no other way to describe him other than he's exhausting in all that he does and the passion he holds for his life. When I asked him to describe himself, here's what he said. My dad always says that the shortest distance between two human hearts is always a story, and this is my story. Avi, what's the introduction that you're world famous for? Alrighty. Uh, my name is Aviaria, father of two girls, six dogs, husband to a superwoman, a streetcar racer turned hotelier, now social media marketer and founder of Internet Moguls. When I see audiences listen to you speech and you start with that, they chant along like you're a rock star to them. They just love that opening. What made you compress this incredible life story into this bit of poetry and why does it resonate so well with audiences? You know, thank you for asking that question. When, uh, when I had to pivot from one business to the other and I realized I went for conferences and nobody knew me in this new business. So I realized time is of the essence. And I needed to come up with something which would be fast, which would make people say, hmm, interesting. This is like me. There is something common. 
See, Tony, every time we meet people at an airport or railway station at a dinner, the first thing two human beings like to do is have some connection. Hey, are you from North America? Hey, I'm from North America as well. Where can, can me, me too. Toronto, me too. No, I'm not from Toronto. Okay. But my daughter goes to study over there. Oh, actually, I went there for a vacation. Somewhere we'll make a connection and then we'll take our conversation from there. So between family, between dogs, between whatever is your authentic story, somewhere people will connect with you. So when I say my name is, so I said, let me say what I would love to say to my own self, my best friends, what, how I would explain myself to my mother, to my wife, to everybody at home. And if I can take that and tell that to the world instead of making it professional. So I am a father of two girls. First, that's the first thing that comes to my mind. You know, six dogs, husband to a superwoman, a streetcar racer, because I wanted to become a streetcar racer. Then I became a hotelier and now founder of Internet Mogul. So that's just exactly how my life was. And everybody said, it's, my family said, it's going to be very boring. You should professionalize it. I said, no, I want it to be as it is. And it just took off. It took off. So you're clearly not from Toronto like you, when you meet people at the airport. Where did, where did you grow up? I grew up in New Delhi, India. And, uh, and then many, 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 many years later, moved to Vancouver, Canada. So when you're in New Delhi, from what I understand, one of your pursuits was slipping into your dad's bedroom when he was sleeping, sliding the car keys from under the pillow and go street racing. Take us back to those days. So, you know, when uh, on the 29th of October, 2021, I'm going to be 45. But when I was 18 years old, all I wanted to do in life was to race streetcars. Dad used to go to sleep rather early and from under his pillow, I would sneak out his car keys, go and race with people, come back, put the car keys back and still have some money in my pocket from the winnings of the car race. In my 18 year old head, I was like, I'm going to become a streetcar racer. And... Uh, the second dream I had was to study, go to the Oxford University get and wear that Oxford blue blazer. Not because I was so much in, I, because I really wanted to study, but because I was very fascinated by, by people. And I knew Oxford was a place that people from all over the world came. But as the story goes, both dreams uh, didn't come true because my, dad's lost, my dad lost everything in his business. And as the eldest son in the family, I had two options, either join the business or get out of the house. So you go from this dream of going to go to Oxford, wear the blue blazer, meet people all over the world, race streetcars, and your dad comes knocking saying you got to join the business. How did that make you feel? Because everything I've read about you, you're an incredible dreamer. And that, that dream collapsed in that one conversation, didn't it? It did. You know, like I said, I, I walked into his office as if when, and when I, every time I tell a story, it's almost like it was yesterday. There was a red carpet on a wooden floor and there were these two phones, landline phones, you know, those phones with wires coming out of the walls. They were off the hook. My dad's phones were never off the hook. I knew there was a serious conversation coming. He said, son, I want you to sit down. There's a short conversation. I sat down and he said, we've lost a lot of money in the business. There's a family separation, all that. And we have to sell the house. It was a bit of a shock. He said, we have to sell the cars. I was like, no way. How can you sell the cars? And then he told me that, you know, we lost everything. And he, he and I cannot go overseas to study and streetcar racing are out of the question and all of that. So what was, more, what, was, what was worse for you, selling the house or losing that car that used to race at night? Initially, in the first five minutes, I was like, hey, how am I going to, how, what are we going to do without the car? But then later on, it did sink in that, you know, the house goes too. But then I realized that, um, I don't know why I was angry with him for maybe saying it as insensitively maybe as he did because whatever he did to to tell me that would have been insensitive in that situation. So first I was angry that, you know, this is no way of breaking this kind of news. And secondly, why me? Because 
we were finishing 12th grade and every single friend of mine like not one of friend of mine did not go overseas to study somebody went to UCLA somebody went to USC some everybody that was the only one who said you can't go so i was angry but uh, like i said i spoke to my mom for hours and hours and days and days and she's like nobody's to be blamed you can't blame anybody and it's just things good good things are going to come out of it and and you know when 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 it's time for you to travel and see the world that will also happen just not right now so you have to step in to try to save your dad's business did that hotel which was providing for you and nice cars and an opportunity to go to oxford suddenly seem like a prison you know the the thing was my dad lost everything he just what the what was left for the small 27 room guest house so it was barely enough to make ends meet and he still had a lot of debt on that so i i had to be there for moral support more than and maybe my dad just wanted to keep me off the streets because he's like you know once we've lost everything what's he going to do and what kind of company does he going to get into i don't think my dad got me in thinking that he's that i'm going to be able to save anything at 18 i couldn't save myself for anything i never got up before 12 in the afternoon but uh, when i did join that business i saw a lot of foreigners like i said one day there was an international tourist who came in paid us in dutch guilders the currency of holland before the euro came in converted the dutch guilders turned out to be double the indian rupees thought to my 18 year old self hey how about getting all international tourists because what they pay is double of the indian rupees if i can get all international tourists to stay in all 27 rooms i double the income if i double the income maybe we have enough money for me to still go abroad so that dream was still alive again once i started thinking of getting foreigners and growing the business hi this is tony chapman you're listening to chatter that matters presented by rbc my special guest is avi arya You will soon learn that this human being who dreamed about becoming a professional streetcar racer mastered another track, his track in life. Avi, your entire story changes when an international tourist visits your hotel. Tell us why. And so this international tourist he came in and I'm assuming he was from Holland because he had paid us in Dutch guilders. We converted that and during that time Tony there used to be two currencies that you could accept from a hotel in a hotel one international currency and an indian currency and the international currency converted would always be double of the indian rupees and I'm and I got to know that for the first time and my head is like can we what if we have all 27 rooms filled up with international tourists the income doubles the revenue doubles and with that double revenue maybe I still have a chance of asking my dad hey we've got more money can I now go overseas and study So then all of a sudden the dream which I thought was dead forever I could see a path to that. So I can get the math if you can turn 27 rooms in an international you can double your revenue but that was a chance encounter that international person coming to your hotel. What did you do to make your dream a reality and set your sights on the fact that this world was as big as you wanted it to become? So during that time Tony there was a new phenomenon on the market called the internet. This was a service that would connect people with different people around the world at the click of a button. The only thing was in Delhi there were only two places the Sheraton Hotel and the British School Library. Both of them were charging 400 rupees for half an hour of the internet. It was like 5 or 7 dollars back in the late 90s for half an hour. It's prohibitively expensive for me. But I still did go, went there a couple of times, and I realized that there are chats and there are forums, and you can talk to friendly people, and everybody's out there ready to help. I wanted more of that experience of people helping and trying to help me get my hotel exposed to people around the world. One day, I saw an ad in the paper: Sat Computers looking for cyber cafe partners. Contact manager Rohit. Rohit is still a friend of mine after 25 years because I was one of the first people to contact him. 
we got a six member computer cyber cafe and i was i was thrilled now tony i had 24 hour access to the slowest internet on the planet uh, a site would open i would go have my breakfast come back another page would open started chatting with people somebody said hey you know what you want tourists to come in you first thing you need is a website great idea but late in the 90s early 2000 how do you get a website there was nobody in delhi but there were some bangalore companies which were doing websites for international companies reached out to them some of the developers said we will do it for you on the side maybe on the weekends and they will deliver it in 6 months what was promised to be 6 months turned out to be 9 to 12 months eventually the site happened it was launched i knew my life is going to change the website was launched and nothing happened nothing happened so your whole dream you probably had your everybody focused on it So what did you do? I mean, you didn't give up. That's what that's a great lesson in life because a lot of people go, "Wow, I tried, I failed. What am I going to do now?" What did you do to put your foot on that accelerator? You know, Tony, what happens is, especially during those years or whenever you live with your family, when you go home and you have dinner table conversations, unknowingly you're picking up from the nuances from from the mannerisms of your parents. So every time even till date when I if I go back to my dad or mom with a failure they look at me like so I mean so I mean you got so many blessings you got food on the table we're all healthy and alive we're all together what is there to complain and so you always felt like a fool even if you were cribbing internally that environment where on the dining table we were never allowed to crib yes always find a solution let's figure out which family member has which problem and the family would come together but nobody ever allowed you to crib so just that environment was like hey let's get back to seeing what we what can be done next and you started to get some results so didn't you yes so what happened was that when i went back into the forums and i started asking people what should i do they said start writing some blogs and articles and during those days the articles and blog would rank really fast on any topic they would just rank because there was no competition Once they started ranking, there was a query form. People started filling up queries. So I knew that, the, and then those, then I started getting emails. My first ever exposure to this phenomena called electronic mail. So I knew something was happening. And people started to come, and that twenty-seven room hotel became what? That on the fifteenth of December, a family of four came. I went to the airport to pick them up. They were real human beings. I was excited to get them into my into the taxi. Got them into the hotel. Checked them into room three zero two, and they paid me four hundred dollars for a fourteen day stay. That's the time when I put the money. When I gave the money to the cashier, that's when I said this internet thing works. This whole two year cycle got me the money. This internet thing works. I just have to ten x what I'm doing. During that time, it, going home was always, you know, stressful because we were always talking about how to get out of debt and how to do this and out of that. I didn't want to go home in that stressful environment, so I chose to stay. I was I was at my hotel for about ten months. I used to go home only on Sundays. I was there every day because I had the internet. It was a new friend, and I was not playing video games. I was just trying to understand who all I can meet who can get me out of this situation because so I can I can I can start traveling. Queries started coming in. and we started filling up this small room hotel in 6 months then we started leasing other people's hotels and started filling those up as well that's when we realized that we had cash flows till about 2 years ahead of time now everything changed the gentleman who wanted to throw me out of the house was now having strategy discussions with me so great things were happening we did pay off a part of the debt and then we chose not to pay off the rest and instead invest in another property and then another one so with one we built three more small boutique properties but they're still some of the most famous boutique properties in the country 
you now have the resources to chase the earlier dream, going to Oxford, maybe becoming that streetcar racer. But instead, you realize that what's in your knapsack is something special, which is the ability to connect buyers and sellers together. So what happens next? So what happens next was that I got a call from a company called Yatra and make my trip, which are like the Indian equivalents of uh, Expedia. They called me and they said, we love the traffic on one of your websites. And can you, can we do an affiliate deal with you? And so Tony, I didn't want to sound like a fool on the phone and tell them, I don't know what an affiliate means. I told them I'm busy in a meeting if they could send me an email. So they sent me an email saying that give me 700 rupees for the conversion of every ticket that happens from my website which was about $15. I didn't understand how my website would send traffic to theirs and it would convert. But I still said there's nothing, there's no harm. I went ahead with it. Very soon we were booking 40, 50 tickets a day, which meant approximately 50,000 rupees, which was about $1,000 during those days, a day in net profit without doing anything in 2005, 2006, 2007. My guest, Avi Ari, is a teen. He wanted to become a professional streetcar racer. We had to crash his dreams to help save his dad's hotel. He was among the first in India and certainly the first independent hotelier to discover the internet and how to attract lucrative international tourists. His website is so popular because of affiliate marketer. Does he stop there? Avi, what do you do next? Companies like Google, Facebook, TripAdvisor started coming into India. And so the market started opening up and they were looking at small business owners. So I got a call from TripAdvisor, some of my, and they said, would you like to speak on stage and tell us what you did for a small business? I said yes to the opportunity instantly. And I went across the country and I spoke to people and I told them of how a small business can leverage the internet. People started coming to me and saying, hey, can you do this for me? Can you do this for me? I said, how? I mean, I don't even know how to do it for you. Should I offer you consulting? Do I have an agency? How do I open an agency? I don't even know because you know I didn't do any formal education to set up a company to service other people. All I did from 18 was to start working with my dad. But after two years of being on stage and people saying, can you do this for me? Can you do this for me? I told my dad, I need to do this. And my dad was like, I would love for you to do it. Do whatever you want. So 2009, completely bootstrapped. I didn't take any money from anyone. Four member team. I didn't even know how to hire these guys. I didn't know why I'm hiring. They didn't know why I'm hiring them. There were no positions. There was nothing. Just hired four people and said, can you all write content? And that's what we started off with. And we said, we'll do internet marketing for hotels. That's all. We set up our first booth, not at a tech or an internet fair, but at a travel exhibition where there were only hoteliers. And in the first three months, I picked up on my next client, which was a chain of 10 hotels. So success came rather, I mean, it was not difficult because I was so bullish on what I knew now. By now, I realized that I was an accidental first mover. Nobody knew what's happening, but I was so clear. Sometimes you see the future as hazy and it's gray and it's cloudy, but not anymore. Now I knew exactly what to do, who to do it for, what my offering should be, and I kept going on. And so it took 12 years, but I went from 4 to 225 people working with 700 hotels in 10 countries. And we became one of the biggest hotel marketing companies on, you know, in Asia. And the reason why I think this show matters to so many people out there is a sense of sometimes your future is hazy, sometimes it's clear, but there's always an opportunity to make a move. When we come back, Evie talks a little bit more about internet marketing and then talks about what he's doing now, which is really becoming a teacher, a mentor, and an influencer. Hi, it's Tony Chapman, host of Chatter That Matters, presented by RBC. RBC provides small business owners with resources that go beyond banking. Resources that help them attract new customers, build strong employee teams, and manage their money. To get access to these services, go to rbc.com slash beyond banking. 
Small businesses matter to RBC. That level of clarity to yourself and to the audience outside not only allows you to say no to all the opportunities which are not for you, save time, spend that more extra money and time with your family, you know, cut out the clutter and stop feeling guilty that you're not taking, taking opportunities because you know in your mind for the first time that you are the most powerful human being because the most because you have something that most don't, which is clarity. You're listening to Chatter That Matters with Tony Chapman, presented by RBC. Welcome back to Chatter That Matters. Avi Ari is my guest. He's one of the most powerful, popular, and charismatic internet influencers in the world. He's got an incredible story. And I, I want us to spend a little bit more time on Internet Mogul, because you started it with four people at the height of a global recession. You expand over 200 people a year in 10 countries. What's happening in your personal life that allows you to kind of combine this chase around the world, almost a streetcar racer now racing around the world with the same time you're trying to find some balance and purpose and knowing who you are and the kind of, the kind of individual your, your mother said you're going to be. Exactly. By that time, I, you know, sorry, I got my hero introduction down pat. My name is Aviare, a father of two girls, six dogs, husband two. And there are men and women clapping, saying they love the hero introduction. And Tony, I started feeling so, f- I started feeling fake inside. Because I'm saying father of two girls and everybody's saying, wow, oh, so sweet. This guy is such an amazing guy. But my kids and my wife are in Vancouver and I'm traveling back between Vancouver and every other part of the world. So if I'm the father of two girls, I'm supposed to be a good father. Why am I I absent? Why am I not there with them? And I went to advice to lots of people and they said, Avi, it's either the business or the family. Something has to take a back seat. And I was like, why can entrepreneurs not say that you love your business as much as your family? I mean, that is as much a third child of mine as anything else. I built it. It has my identity. It has everything. In my head, my slogan was, all I want is everything. So I always had this thing in my head. What should I do to stay home more? But at the same time, make sure internet moguls continues to flourish. And none of my clients feel that I'm I'm unavailable. So I started getting onto videos. Like I remember coming back to my office one day and I asked one of my team members, how many clients do we serve? He said, give or take about 700. I wrote an email. I said, send this out to everyone. We 700 people. An average person takes two to three hours in traffic, in India traffic to go and go. If you want a design change or a color change or a website, some addition, you normally call us and we take a taxi. We come to your office, two to three hours, project manager, designer, everybody. Seven, eight hours for one person. So it's about 50, 60 hours a week. It's 600 hours a month. It's 7,000 hours, whatever. So an average person is spending two to three years in traffic, not even working in traffic. If that time can be saved and poured back into their families, imagine how much you're doing for the for everyone. I thought I wrote such a heartfelt email and everybody's going to be like, I'm, I support you. <laughs> Almost nobody replied back to my email. And I, I even told them, I said, if you, if you give us an opportunity to serve you on video, on Zoom, there's a new software called Zoom. And they said, I said, then um, I'll give you 10% off on your retainers. Still about five, seven people said, okay. But I was adamant. Three or four years before the pandemic, I started creating Zoom rooms inside my office. And I'm teaching people how Zoom works. And I'm saying, oh, everything happens on Zoom. If you don't do Zoom, I'm not going to give you your incentive. There was resistance from within my team and resistance from outside. That's when I started discovering webinars. I said, with a webinar, I don't need to travel and talk to every single client. I can talk to four, 500 people together, give my spiel, give my pitch. Maybe 50 people will like it. We'll get them on a call and I can just keep filtering them throughout the next few months instead of traveling everywhere. 
So I started doing webinars every Monday. And there were four, five hundred people used to come. I used to talk to them about my agency, about started building some online courses, which I could, you know, one day maybe run if I'm sitting at home. So Mondays became my side hustle to grow everything on videos and everything else on six days of the week was doing normal. When the pandemic hit, Tony, that's when uh, the because most of our business was hospitality based, we went down 80%. And we had almost 200 people to send home in accommodations, flights, trains, cars, sending people home with computers and all that when the government is saying, go home in 24 hours, shut down. And while my kids are in Vancouver, I'm in Delhi. So all that emotional turmoil, I had no idea what's going to happen. But I was not so scared. I should have been more scared. I was not as scared as I should have been because I was like, maybe this is what I was looking for to be able to reinvent everything on video and be able to do it when it comes afresh. Now everybody's going to do video. So I came back home. I remember at 6.30 in the evening and I told my office people, let's organize a webinar. They said, normally we advertise for a webinar. And so we don't have, we haven't done any, I said, doesn't matter. Just, just advertise to our email list. 650 people came up for that webinar without advertising only because the world was scared. People wanted to hear messages and see what's happening. So I started speaking to them about hope and entrepreneurship and all of that. And that day I sold online courses worth about five, $6,000, just, just like that. From that day, we did 75 webinars in 75 days. There were some days we did two to three webinars because every webinar was hugely profitable. And the first couple of hundred days, people were like lapping up every piece of content that would allow them to build a business online. And that's what I wanted to teach people anyways in the first place. As soon as India opened, I took the next flight, came back to Vancouver, and I've been here since the last 18 or 16 months. And I've been running my business from there. We're back about 70% in business. We still have 30%. Maybe by March, the internet moguls will be back on track. In the interim, this new business, of which we call the internet moguls of the world school, where I teach entrepreneurs to restart leveraging the internet. By next March, if everything goes according to plan, we'll have two businesses with equal revenue. This one was completely born during the pandemic. So I think, you know, if you don't stop, uh, something good happens. I want to go back to my question. You're at home, you're spending 18 months. You're very honest in saying your business is your third child. How does that work in terms of relationship with your family? How do you make sure that, because I know as an entrepreneur, I get so excited about the work that I do, that it's hard to ever turn it off. And I've had sometimes people say, you're not listening, aren't you? Because my mind is somewhere else. So how do you find a way to balance that? Because there's a lot of people out there that want to be entrepreneurs, but it really is a 24-7 business, isn't it? You're right. It is 24-7. It's consumed you, it, you know, and, and it can't, it's like a baby which can't run without you. Yes, you know, you can you can hire a babysitter. You can give it to, a, to your sister, your sister-in-law, your mom, your mom-in-law for a while, but then you need to come back and cuddle it for it to relax and find its peace and go back to sleep or function the way it needs to. So it always needs you. In terms of my wife, like I call her a superwoman, she's always, you know, said, what do you need? And I've been with her since I was 20, I'm 45. So she's always known me to be like this. And she's she, she goes to sleep at nine sharp. She gets up at four in the morning, very regimental lifestyle. She's a very well-accomplished immigration attorney. She does her own business. So she understands uh, for the most part, <laughs> for the most part. The kids get it. My kids want to be entrepreneurs. My Both my daughters now 16 and 
2012 when we uh, wrote a book called Bedtime Stories for Tomorrow's Entrepreneurs because I was spending so much time away from them. I told my wife I'm feeling guilty. She said, "Spend time with them." I said, "How?" She said, "Read them a story before they go to sleep." So I started reading them a story, and they would go to sleep. My wife was like, "Wow, well done! You put them to bed." I said, "But that was not the idea. The idea was to spend at least an hour." The marketer in me should have realized that when I was putting them to bed, the story I was telling them about my travels and all of that, so it was boring. They went to sleep. I should have realized the story has to be about the audience, so I flipped the story. My elder one is called Raya, my younger one is called Aviana, and so we combined the names. We called it Raviana, and their passion was around chocolate. So we had Raviana chocolates. We gave birth to a fictitious chocolate factory, where there were three co-founders: me and my two daughters. The two daughters would go to work every day, which was a chocolate factory, and every day problems that they faced as entrepreneurs. And then I was their mentor on call. The stories became very popular within our own family. And then one day we wrote a book, a comic book series. We hired a uh, uh, you know a graphic designer, comic book editor, and all of that. And we called it bedtime stories for tomorrow's entrepreneurs. And the girls went and spoke at various schools and colleges across Canada and India, and became speakers. So that was what I did with my girls. Then the girls and I went and met Gary Vaynerchuk. We met. We interviewed Grant Cardone, Pat Flynn, Stu McLaren, Billy Jean, Patrick, Pat David, uh, Pat Flynn. Dan Lok, like we we interviewed sixty two of the top internet entrepreneurs, and then COVID hit, so we could we stopped traveling. Then we started interviewing them on, on Zoom, and then we put all those interviews together. The girls interview edited some of the videos, they edited some of the things. It was it's been a two year effort. The book is coming out in two weeks. It's called the Internet Moguls of the World. With three three co founders, me and my two girls, we equal co founders. They've done e- equal amount of work. I've involved them in what I'm doing. It's good for their resume. It's good for their work experience, and they built something in the last two years, doing a lot of hard work. And so, that's how I got them into my world, so that we spend time together. And I love what you say, and this is something I believe in. I had to be make it about them and their story versus mine. And if you're listening, that is such powerful insight because that's what keeps kids from going to sleep at night and getting engaged because it becomes their story. You're the Yoda of the story versus trying to dictate it. You know, you'd mentioned a lot of digital influencers and entrepreneurs, but you're named as a top 100 digital icon in Asia by Impact Magazine, top 25 influencers. You've won speaker awards. I mean, you've built yourself into this. Powerhouse brand. I mean, you are in many ways another Gary V. And listening and watching your videos on stage is electrifying. What do you do next? Because you have so many doors in front of you. I mean, you already have two businesses that are going to be of equal size by next March. You could probably spend your entire life speaking. Uh, you've got a YouTube channel. How do you prioritize now that you're so successful and so many people knocking at your door? Saying, "Here's the path I want you to follow." How do you decide what's next? I let myself get thoroughly confused before I find my next path. And right now, as I'm speaking to you, I'm thoroughly confused, and I take that as a blessing, which comes every few years, because I see I see confusion as a four-way path. I don't know which path I'm going to take. My idea is, you know, when when I do a meditation, they say, "Close your eyes and think of where you want to be." Instantly, I want to be amidst fifty thousand people inside an arena. All of these people are hurting, aching, anxious. They get up unhappy. They get up scared. They feel like crying. But as entrepreneurs, they cry because they're scared about their future. And and I tell them it's okay to cry. And I tell them everybody cries. And I tell them everybody is anxious. So hey, everybody is anxious. Everybody cries. Okay, so let entrepreneurship be a ride like that. So to tell everybody to say. 
it's okay don't worry and let's all cry together because why in entrepreneurship you have to wear a tie and go to office and say everything is perfect on a monday morning and everybody's hard nobody's hard on the inside everybody's soft and you're supposed to be soft and that's okay and so now my biggest focus for the next one year is going to be uh building content on youtube to give entrepreneurs a sense of calm and say you know don't chase the legacy because that legacy at best will be there for 10 years if you're bill clinton or you're a you know president or somebody maybe 100 years but nobody cares when you're gone so build what you want to build for yourself now it's hard i know it's hard but try not to feel jealous or envious of other people's success because then you'll follow their path and try to be as happy as them when you need to be as happy as you are your mom sat you down when you thought your dreams were over and she said it's nobody's fault do what you have to do and one day you'll travel the world she was pretty right wasn't she she was 100% she that's what i tell her. i said you're always right did you always know it but she's like you know how can you not have faith in somebody who makes so much beauty happen around the world do you have any regrets i know when i when i die i'm going to go to heaven god's secretary is going to come to me hand me my cup of my favorite cappuccino because god knows i love cappuccino he's got great customer service and there's a big tv in front and she says there's a movie that will play here once you're done watching the movie God will see you. He'll be waiting for you. Press play. It shows me my life story since I was born. Only one difference. There's a heart monitor on me. When my life story is playing, instead of me feeling what I felt throughout my life, the heart monitor in my heart gives me a feeling of what others felt as I was living my life. Every word, every sentence that I said to anybody else, good, bad, ugly. Maybe I made fun of somebody jokingly. How that person felt. unhappy or unworthy or they felt they felt wow abhi made me feel so good that feeling comes through that heart monitor to me so my heart is going up and down based on the feelings that i've created for others and at the end of the movie i take the heart monitor off put the coffee mug down nobody needs to tell me anything i know exactly where i stand based on how i made other people feel i open the door there's a white light inside this that's what god is supposed to be there's no real person there's a knowingness i know where i am in the whole scheme of things. Abby, I always end the show with three things that I've learned. And the first thing I learned about is the cappuccino. Watching the story of your life and seeing how you made other people feel. And I think if every human being went through life thinking of that, we'd be so so much of a better place. The second thing is that you are all about connections. Your entire life you've connected buyers and sellers. You connected your your parents back to prosperity. You've brought people all over the world together. And the final thing is, you know, when you discovered the internet and you had access to it, I love what you said. I I didn't play video games. I learned. And I think you're one of the most curious individuals that has a humility and gratitude to say that so much of life is learning and giving and helping people get to where they want to go. My friend, it's been an absolute honor to have you on a chat that matters. Tony, thank you very much. My dad always says the most expensive thing you can ask from anybody is not their money, but it's their time. Thank you for giving me your time. I will remember this and cherish this moment forever. Joining me now is Sheila McGrogan. As you know in my podcast, I often bring in somebody from RBC. And Sheila is an absolute expert on content. And why that matters to you is that I believe in the future for you to get the attention you need and deserve, you're going to have to put out relevant content, content that matters to that the people that matter most to you. And that content just can't be spam or can't be thought of or just copy and paste. It has to be personal and it has to be relevant. So I wanted Sheila to come in and comment a little bit more about her expertise 
and creating that quality of uh, content that really people pay attention to. Sheila, welcome to Chat of the Batters. Thanks, Tony. It's really great to be here with you today. January 1996, Bill Gates wrote a following essay titled Content is King. He described the internet as a marketplace for content. Do you believe that content is what's driving most of the engagement and interaction on the uh, on the web? You know what, Tony? I really do. You know, throughout history, people have always had this insatiable appetite for stories. You know, we just have to think back to our ancestors um, and how they shared past events or family folklore. And it was always done through storytelling. And I really do believe that we developed as a race by passing on our wisdom. So, Sheila, your job is to create content for RBC that, that people pay attention to. What advice can you give my listener on creating the same bar that when they put something out there, they know there's an audience for it? I think when we can create content that really engages Canadians and leaves them feeling more educated, confident, and informed, that in turn impacts how they feel about our brand. Another question, and this is dating myself, but I remember Thursday nights, that was NBC's night and you had to be home because if you missed, for example, Friends at 8 o'clock, you had to wait until the summer to see the reruns. And that Friday morning around the water cooler, you just had, you had nothing to offer because you missed that incredible piece of content. But today, you know, content's with an orange piece of desire. It's coming streaming at you. And the, the idea of being accepting advertising, having a story in the middle broken apart with a, with, a, with a bunch of ads just doesn't cut it anymore. What do brands have to do now to get the attention that they desperately need to tell their story. I think with, um, you know, exactly what you just said, to the, with the introduction of the mobile devices, live streaming, and the ability just to PVR any upcoming show, we have greater flexibility now in when we consume content. And because that content follows us everywhere we go, we've actually become even more captive to the content itself. But I think we've also become, at the same time, less tolerant of being interrupted by advertising. And with the ability to, you know, fast forward or even skip through the ads altogether, today's marketers really need to find a new way of engaging with their customers in a non-invasive way. I think we really need to just stop telling our story and become part of theirs. So give me an example of that where you as a, a bank can have the courage to sort of back off kind of slamming home what I want to say and instead be focused a little bit more on how I can help you get to where you want to go. You know, Tony, I really believe it's about meeting the audience on their path. Marketers can no longer be obsessed with selling and telling, but instead we really need to start creating content that is both relevant and meaningful to our audience. Let's be honest, when people embark on the home buying journey, it's not about getting a mortgage, it's about getting a house. And if we can nurture our clients by providing information and insights to help them make better informed decisions, that's what it's all about. The mortgage will follow as a means to get them there. It's Tony Chapman. Let's chat soon. Chatter That Matters with Tony Chapman has been a presentation of RBC. Fridays, join Tony Chapman for Chatter That Matters on the iHeartRadio Canada Talk Network.